Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here in Livingston this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great if you'd make sure you've got them out with you. Uh, or if you've got your uh, Bibles on your phone, get that out. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 21. It's one small verse we're going to be looking at, but it's got so much in, and we're going to be going through it uh, bit by bit uh, this morning. But before we uh, get going, I wonder if you'd all do something for me. Now, confession time, uh, when I'm asked to do what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, I will just probably turn to Ruth, I'll be sitting next to Ruth, I'll turn to Ruth, I'll make funny faces and pretend I'm meeting her for the first time. But I don't want you to do what I do, I want you to do what I ask. (laughs) You don't need to say anything, but would you turn to someone that's next to you, not saying anything, but just acknowledge them. Not someone you came with, someone that you didn't come with, uh, but just turn to them and acknowledge them. Don't stare creepily, just acknowledge them. Notice them. Just notice who it is, and then turn back to the front. Wow. You just acknowledged, you just noticed someone made in God's image. In the image of God. Whoever it was, you acknowledged someone made in the image of God. But I wonder what you were thinking uh, as you acknowledged them. Now, I'm going to hope the slide comes up. It might not. If not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, and we'll go to the next slide. I wonder if you're thinking, they're such a hero. Uh, a few years ago, uh, someone told me I looked a little bit like Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. <laughs> not the most flattering of likenesses, I have to say. Uh, but I'll take it. He's a superhero after all, and there are worse things to be likened to. So maybe you turned to someone and thought, they're a bit of a hero. They're such a good person. They're so worshipful. Don't they serve on like 10 different church teams, and yet still they're somehow here in the service listening to the preacher? Don't they direct that amazing charity? They're clearly so faithful. Aren't they amazing? They can actually look around and acknowledge people without feeling sheepish or awkward. They lead worship. They must be such a great Christian. They won't ever have broken just one of the Ten Commandments. They're so much better person than me. They have it all together. They're so much better Christian. Maybe you're thinking that as you look to the person next to you. We'll go to the next slide. So also, uh, just the other day, Uh, I thought Ruth was looking at a picture of me uh, on her phone. I asked, oh, where was that photo taken? It turned out she was actually reading the news, and it was a photo of Prince William. (laughs) Rather embarrassing. I think it's probably the hairline that did it. But maybe uh, Ruth did want me to clarify that she was reading the news. She wasn't just looking at a picture of Prince William. (laughs) Rather embarrassing, but maybe when you turned to someone else and thought, you thought they must be such a good Christian. Their parents were such good Christians. They've got amazingly well-behaved children. They look the part. They look like royalty. It must be in their blood. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were a descendant of Moses who got all the commandments and laws from God. They must be such good people. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have that upbringing have their background in faith. They've gone to church their whole life. They're a much better person than me. They have it all together. 
They're so much better Christian than me. It's just in their blood. But sometimes I don't look like anyone in particular, and I just look like me. <laughs> a prematurely balding guy who's the ability to pull some rather spectacular faces. How on earth I'm a minister when I can pull this kind of face, I'll never know. So maybe you turn to the person next to you, hopefully nobody was pulling a face like this when you turned to them, but maybe you turn to the person next to you and thought, gosh, I must be a much better Christian than them. They're the elephant in the room. I mean, look at them. They've just looked so lost. Have they ever been to church before? They didn't raise their hands during worship. They had to open up Bible Gateway on their internet browser on their phone to find the passage. Look at my Bible. It's so used, it's overflowing with notes. I just opened it straight to the right page when I was told it was 2 Corinthians. I must be a much better person than them. I know my Bible. I can recite the Ten Commandments. I pray. I have it all together. Thank you, God, for not making me like them. Thank you for making me a better Christian. I mean, look at them. Are they really a Christian at all? Maybe they're not. No, 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 no. To all of the things I've just been saying, no. It's not about that. It's not about how heroic someone is, how successful they appear, how much they serve others, what they do, who their parents are, who their children are, whether they have children or not, how long they've gone to church for, how well they're able to fit in, whether they raise their hands in worship or not, whether they have an ESV, extra sound version study Bible, or whether they have a pristine tract-sized New Testament fresh off the press. Whoever you looked at, whoever you acknowledged, how are they Christians, or how could they be a Christian? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. All of us, heroic or not, upfront or not, leaders or not, servers or not, new Christians or old Christians, Christians or not, royal or not, the only way we are, can be, could ever be Christians, the only way we could ever experience the closeness of God, adoption as his children, is through Jesus. Paul reminds us in Galatians, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. As we turn and look at the people alongside us, and whether or not you did it earlier when I rather put everyone on the spot, we all do it, maybe not all the time, but at least in our past, and at least some of the time, we judge who they are. I shall project. <laughs> often before I even have a chance to catch myself I know I've done it we notice someone and we make an assessment maybe not as ridiculous as some of the examples I was given but we do it we notice someone and we make an assessment are they better than me how do I compare to them are they worse than me am I a better person than them or are they better than me all as though we get to where we are on our own it's what we do ourselves, who we are ourselves. It's not Jesus we see. We're on a quest to do it for ourselves. I mean, being a Christian means doing exactly what the Bible says, doesn't it? Rigidly following lots of rules. Being a really, really good person. It's a bit of a DIY handbook, really. Lots of wisdom, rules to follow as you strive towards perfection. That's how you're a Christian, isn't it? Do you do the right thing? Isn't it? Wrong. 
We're the heroes, villains, or bystanders. We're the preachers, worship leaders, or worshippers, or in church for the very first time. Whether royalty or servants, whether we've always gone to church or never stepped into a church, whether our parents are leading theologians or just another couple of homo sapiens, whether we know our Bible back to front or we hold our Bible back to front, none of us can do it on our own. We just can't. Though we'd love to say, I did it myself. We can't. And when we try, we say to God, oh, thanks for your grace. Thanks you sent Jesus to die and all that, but I don't think I need it. I'm going to try and do it myself. I think I can make a pretty good stab at being righteous. Now, I'm sure if we were to do a poll uh, in the congregation here today, I don't think uh, most of us would think we could live perfect lives. But that doesn't stop us from trying, from judging others, from judging ourselves, does it? From thinking we're better than others or others are better than us. But that's wrong. We'll never measure up if our identity, our goodness, our value comes from what we do and how well we do it compared with others. Even in worshipping, even in praying or reading the Bible, we're always going to make mistakes. We're always going to mess up. And then, if that's where our value comes from, we feel awful. How did I do that so badly? I'm a rubbish Christian. How could God love me? How could anyone love me? I'm so flawed, I'm so sinful. So, how can our identity become an identity of righteousness? And this is where we're going to come, finally come to today's passage and recognize the massive importance of the words within it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how we become righteous. Not any old righteousness, like one of multiple different right choices, none really any better or worse than another, like we're playing a board game, we've got multiple different strategies that are all just as good as each other. This is ultimate, unparalleled righteousness. The righteousness of God. But hold up. Let's work through this. I think this verse has three key parts. We need to listen in close as we go to our next slide. It's all for our sake, for us. Paul is even including himself in this. It's for our sake, for Paul, for the Corinthians, for us all here. It's for our good. It's for your good. It's for the good of one of the authors God spoke through in writing his word, writing the Bible. And it's no more or less for our good. So listen in, this is for us. For our sake, for our good, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was made to be sin. Jesus became sin. I think sin probably is becoming less and less understood in the world. If you were going to go and speak to someone in the street and ask them what sin was, I think the average person probably wouldn't really fully understand. I think it's definitely being used less uh, less and less in the, normal, uh, in the, the secular world. Uh, it's being increasingly antiquated. So John Stott, I always like going to John Stott if I've got questions about things theological. So he helps us to get to the bottom of what sin is. He says, in each case of sin, uh, an objective criterion is implied. Either a standard we fail to reach 
or a line we deliberately cross. It's assumed throughout scripture that this criterion, this ideal, has been established by God. It is, in fact, his moral law, which expresses his righteous character. It is not the law of his own being only, however. It is also of ours, since he has made us in his image, and in doing so has written the requirements of the law into our hearts. We have rejected the position of dependence which our createdness inevitably involves, and made a bid for independence. Sin is not a regrettable lapse of conventional standards. Its essence is hostility to God, issuing an active rebellion against him. But Jesus, both fully God and fully human, never sinned was never hostile to God, never issued an act of rebellion against him, never decided <coughs> that um, God wasn't what he needed. God wasn't the, the moral law that it had to be lived up to to be righteous. 1 Peter 2.22 tells us about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.14 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.14, no, 1 Peter uh, 1, 18-19 says, knowing you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus was without sin. In these verses and so many more we see it. Empirically, Jesus was without sin. So does this mean Jesus, in becoming sin, suddenly became actively rebellious against God? Hostile to God? Guilty? And therefore to himself? And then no longer God? Maybe Paul offers the best explanation of this in his letter to the Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In becoming sin, Jesus was not becoming an intrinsically sinful person. He wasn't starting to do bad things. He wasn't suddenly a different person. He still died without having sinned. The only person ever to have existed who died without having sinned. But he took on the curse of the law. The law we could never live up to. The law we could never keep. The law we could never fully fulfill. In our unbelievable ability to try to go at ourselves, we prove intrinsically that we can't. Now, uh, Luther, Martin Luther explains this a little better than I could, though I have put it in slightly more up-to-date language to hopefully make it a little bit more accessible. Our most merciful Father, seeing that we were oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, and so to be held back by it, such that we could never be delivered from it by our own power, sent his only Son into the world 
and laid upon him the sins of all people, saying, Be Peter the denier, Paul that persecutor, blasphemer and cruel oppressor, David that adulterer, that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise, that thief which hanged upon the cross, and briefly, be the person which hath committed the sins of all people, saying to Jesus, see therefore that you pay and satisfy for them. So in becoming sin, Jesus was becoming the very thing he wasn't and could never be, such that he could pay the price for us, taking the curse of the law upon himself so that we too could become the very thing we aren't and could never be. Jesus died without sin, but because of our sin. Because he could never sin, and we could never not sin. How horrendously amazing. How horrifically generous. What reckless love. This is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him. There's a reason he did it. There's a reason he became sin. A reason that the sinless man dying a sinner's death can be horrific, horrendous and reckless, while simultaneously being none of these things. Jesus died for a reason, looking even into my own life. It's horrendous that someone else should have all that guilt placed upon them. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth. I can find examples of all of these across my life, many way back and plenty more recently. How horrendous. How horrific, how reckless that all the times these things and more have reared their ugly heads in my life should be put just upon the perfect person, the only person who doesn't deserve any of it, even a hint of it. But whilst it's horrendous, whilst it's horrific, whilst it's reckless as we think about it, we see the purpose. We see its reason. We see that it is simultaneously wonderful. It's beautiful, loving, maybe even logical for the one who embodies and defines love, that is. So that in him. Jesus did it for a reason. That horrendously wonderful, horrifically beautiful, recklessly loving thing. So that in him. We need to be in him. But what does that mean? We need it, but what does it mean to be in him? So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, it tells us in Galatians 3. To be in Christ, in him means to believe in him, to have faith in him, to trust in him and not ourselves, to know we can't go it on our own, to realize I sin, I fall short. 
realize I sometimes say, I don't need you to God, thinking we don't need him, but now realize intrinsically we do. It means saying, not in my own strength, but asking God to work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, as we read in Philippians. Now, John Piper uh, does a great job at offering six things it means to be in him. Now, these are all taken from Scripture. It's not actually John Piper's words, but he's put a list together of six things that it means to be in him. In Christ Jesus, we're given grace before the world was created. It says in uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, he gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He gave us grace in Christ before the ages began. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.38-39, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1.7 says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. 2 Corinthians 5.21, as we're hearing today, says, for our sake God made him to be sin and knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Galatians 3.26 says, in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. So that in him, as Piper says, given grace, chosen, loved, redeemed, justified, adopted. In this, we might become the righteousness of God. And there we come to the last section of today's reading. We might become the righteousness of God. You may notice all these things being given grace, being chosen, being loved, being redeemed, being justified, being adopted. They're all things that we don't do but are done to us. When we are in him, taking on the righteousness of God and all that comes with it, we are given grace, we are chosen, we are loved, we are redeemed, we are justified, we are adopted. This all comes from outside of us. It is imputed, uh, to use a theological term, it is attributed to us through Christ's perfect sacrifice. We take on his righteousness and all that comes with it. Greg Morse explains that the heart of Christianity is indeed a great exchange, a double exchange. Christ, our great groom, became our sin and bore the wrath we deserved. And in exchange, we get his perfect life and all that justly comes with it. But there's more. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 3. So in him we are righteous. In a great exchange, Jesus' righteousness becomes our own righteousness. But also when we are redeemed, when we become righteous, we are offered the Spirit. J.C. Ryle, in his book, Holiness, describes our righteousness as being without us, outside of us, uh, coming from another. This is how we're justified, to use another theological term, no matter our sins. If we're in Christ, 
we are justified. We are seen as righteousness apart from ourselves, but because of Jesus. But Ryle also says that our holiness is within us. This is how we journey towards becoming more like Christ. Sanctification would be the more theological word. So sanctification as opposed to justification. This comes within us. And how wonderful is it then that we're offered the Spirit to live within us. So let's look to 1 John now, where it says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how, this is how love is made complete among us. So that we, we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Because of Jesus' horrendously wonderful, horrifically beautiful, recklessly loving sacrifice, we can be righteous in him. And because we can become the righteousness of God, of God himself, that definition of morality, of the moral law, because we can become the righteousness of God, we can receive his spirit. And because we have his spirit, we know we live in him, but also that he lives in us. And this is how we become more holy. This is how we become more like Christ. Even as we know, we are righteous in him already. So when you forget your identity in Christ, when in your life you forget your identity in Christ, when something else, you put something else ahead of him, I wonder how you identify yourself. I wonder how you identify others. Whether we identify ourselves as a theologian, one of life's pedestrians, surgeon, optician, just another homo sapien, a magician, a comedian, a dietitian, a valedictorian, a sectarian, librarian, vegetarian, seminarian, politician, electrician, octogenarian, nonagenarian, clinician, mathematician, or anything elseian, we need, and this is a bit cheesy, but we need redemption. Wherever our identity comes from ultimately means nothing if it isn't covered by redemption. And when we're covered by redemption, by that great exchange, our identity becomes Christ. We are Christ, Ian. We are Christian. We are little Christs. For our sake, for us, for you, Jesus became sin. For that short time, it might as well have been that he'd done everything we'd done as he took the curse of the law upon himself, the curse of disregard for our need for God. Jesus became this sin, 
despite knowing no such thing, despite living the perfect life, so that in him, so that when we, when you, when I, put our faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And becoming the righteousness of God means we dwell in him. Through the Spirit, he dwells in us too, transforming us into his likeness as we continue our journey into holiness. But that journey into holiness, becoming more like Christ, that isn't what makes us Christian in the first place. It isn't what justifies us, but it comes because we've been justified. So some of us may be better at praying. Some of us may have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All good things, all fruits of the Spirit. But these aren't the things that justify us. It is the fruit of a life spent with the Spirit dwelling within us. It comes because we have been justified, not in order that we may be justified. But our righteousness, what allows us to be seen as righteous, to have Christ as our identity, be Christian, Christian, covered by redemption, what it is that means we can dwell in God and he in us, what allows the Spirit to be dwelling within us, and not only dwelling within us, but welling up from inside us, coming to fruit, That comes through Christ, nothing more and nothing less. So that's what we're going to do now. Nothing more, nothing less. We're going to allow ourselves to be reminded, to be told, when we are in him, we become the righteousness of God. In him, not in what we do, not in us, not through us, not in our job, not in how much we do at church, not in how, mo- how well we know the Bible, not through how much fruit we produce. It is in him and him only that we have access to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In him that our sin and shame, our guilt is taken away as we are clothed with Christ inside and out. So as you're able, I encourage you to stand uh, wherever you are And we're going to spend some time focusing on Jesus. Focusing on him who had no sin, who became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. The way we are Christians. The way we are worthy before God. The only way we are worthy before God. The way we are good enough. The way we look at and think of others around us is in Christ. In Christ And we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, as we read in Ephesians 4. We have that guarantee. The Spirit reminds us of it. So we're going to ask the Spirit now, the seal, the guarantee that we are righteous in Christ, no less, no more, to remind us of our righteous identity in him, in Christ and Christ alone now. So if you want to receive this reminder, this encouragement, this reorientation or re-reorientation to remember in Christ, you become righteous, the righteousness of God. Why not hold out your hands now as a sign you want to receive?
for those of us who struggle not to believe lies we and others tell us. You are in Christ. Holy Spirit, cast out those lies and remind us of our righteousness in Christ alone. For those of us who struggle to accept we are chosen, you are in Christ. Holy Spirit, help us to accept we are chosen and remind us of our righteousness in Christ. For those of us who think we're unlovable, who are full of shame, you are in Christ. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. Help us to clothe ourselves with Christ. Remind us that we are righteous in him. For those of us who struggle to believe we could ever be forgiven, you are in Christ. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. Help us to clothe ourselves with Christ. Remind us that we are forgiven, that there is no condemnation, that we are righteous in Christ. For those of us who can't believe we are really God's child, God's heir, you are in Christ. Holy Spirit, stir up in us the knowledge that we are adopted in Christ, that we are heirs in Christ, that God is our perfect heavenly Father, our Abba Father. Remind us that we are righteous in Christ. For those of us who feel so insecure, never sure what's coming next in life, you are in Christ. Holy Spirit, remind us that our God is the same yesterday, today and forever. That we are in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. And that never changes. Abba Father. Abba Father. Thank you. And for those of us who just don't know who we are, who haven't accepted Jesus, who don't know a strong and stable, secure identity, for those of us who struggle with lies, struggle to feel wanted, struggle when we feel unlovable, feel unworthy, feel disconnected and isolated, feel condemned and secure, you can have redemption in all these things. You can have the Holy Spirit within you, inspiring you, guiding you, encouraging you, comforting you, if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you can become the righteousness of God, full of truth, full of chosenness, full of security, full of love, full of connection, family, forgiveness, full of righteousness. Whatever you have done, whatever you may do, if you commit your life to God, accepting Christ's sacrifice for you through his righteousness, 
You have access to life in all its fullness as the Spirit wells up inside you, as the Spirit dwells within you and you dwell within God. So if this is you, why not repeat the words of this prayer now quietly in your heart? And if you've already echoed this, these words, if you've already committed yourself to God, it can always be so good to remind ourselves of it. It's so easy to slip back into old patterns of feeling unloved, unworthy, disconnected, isolated, condemned and insecure. But we are righteous and in God we dwell with him and he in us. So why not pray these words quietly as I say them? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Surely I have been a sinner from birth. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I am sorry, Lord. I accept Christ. I want to be in Christ. I accept the righteousness he offers me. Fill me with your spirit in his righteousness that I may become more holy. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, do speak to someone after the service. Maybe someone you came with and you trust, someone you know who's here that you trust, or just one of the, one of the team here. Do grab us, do grab me. Do speak to someone uh, at the welcome desk. Speak to someone you came with and trust. Because as we accept Christ, we become family. We are family. If you have accepted Christ, we are family. We aren't in this on our own. There'll be times we struggle to believe our identity and having brothers and sisters around us encouraging us to keep plugging into the Spirit to remind us of our righteousness in Christ is such a great thing. And so we're going to respond now and just remind ourselves as we continue in worship, continue an attitude of worship, uh, singing cornerstones, remind ourselves it's all about Christ. Our hope is in nothing less. It's all about Jesus.